you're listening to New England Climate Conversations, the podcast all about the impacts of climate change and how we can make a difference. I'm your host, Owen, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Dean, Luna, and Corbin. On this episode, we'll be discussing the impact of climate change on beer production, the restaurant industry, and small-scale agriculture. But first, we'll get into the weekly Climate Bites. For those tuning in for the first time, Climate Bites is our rapid-fire segment about recent major climate events. I'll turn it over to Corbin to start. The 10th of January was a day full of rain and floods for the town of Deer Isle, with waters of at least three feet flooding the roads and leaving them submerged. Islanders were stuck on the island due to the causeway, which is the connection between Deer Isle and Little Deer Isle, and the road for the Deer Isle Sedgwick Bridge being covered with raised flood waters and waves. Not only was there flooding, but there were wind gusts reaching up to 70 miles per hour and melting snow, adding to the detrimental storm that was already at large. Thousands of lobstermen lost hundreds of their traps due to the flooding, and docks were splashed and pulled around in the rough waters. The Stonington Co-op suffered immense damages to the electricals and boat fueling lines, causing further strain on the island's lobstermen. This has been a New England Climate Conversations Climate Bites with Corbin. And now I will pass it over to Dean. Thanks, Corbin. So, in uh, other news, the uh, first major natural disaster of the year occurred on January 1st, 2024, when a magnitude 7.6 earthquake struck in Japan. The earthquake, which was the strongest regional quake um, in four decades, uh, killed one person, destroyed numerous buildings, knocked out power for tens of thousands of residents, and caused uh, nearly 100,000 people to be evacuated. In addition, satellite photos of the area afterwards showed that the coastline had shifted over 800 feet, which is a rather incredible amount for just one earthquake. And to play off a little bit of what uh, Corbin was talking about earlier with the flooding, something we haven't covered yet, in the uh, summer of 2023, Alaska recorded record flooding. Um, Glacial flood outbursts from uh, Mendenhall Glacier caused the river to overflood in August of 2023, um, an event that experts say would not have been possible without climate change. So you had crests of almost 15 feet and, uh, quote, decades of erosion that happened in one weekend. You saw, some, you saw something similar in, uh, on October 5th of last year, where flooding in the Himalayas, also from a glacial, glacial flood outburst, um, killed dozens of people and caused the local lake level to drop markedly within hours. Events such as these, glacial flood outbursts specifically, we're going to be seeing a lot more of them as climate change ramps up which our host, Owen, will talk about in the next Climate Bite. On to you, Owen. An annual economic report issued by the United Nations predicts that the effects of the climate crisis will hurt agricultural output in 2024. As a result, the high food prices of the past two years are expected to continue in Africa, South Asia, and Western Asia. These climate events are exacerbated by El Nino. El Nino is a warming of the ocean surface in the central and eastern tropical Pacific Ocean, that affects weather patterns globally. As a result, droughts are most likely to occur in Central America, South Asia, Southeast Asia, Southern Africa, and the Sahel, which is the region just south of the Sahara. Rains may also impact the coast of equatorial South America, and hurricanes could occur in the Central Pacific. When you think of the classic main meal, do you think of the lobster roll? What if the current projections say that over the next few decades it may be black sea bass ending up on your platter in Kennebunkport? That's a great concern for restaurants in the region as they're facing their own industry-specific hardships because of changing oceanic conditions. On this episode of New England Climate Conversations, we're talking about the delicious stuff. Beer, sandwiches, and fried seafood. Visitors and residents alike must contend with the shortfalls in climate mitigation measures when it comes to the meals that are part of the main experience. Think 
ocean acidification, temperature and precipitation variations, changes in species habitat, species extinction, human and animal disease. These are some of the factors at play on the impacts of climate change on Maine's restaurant industry. Also keep in mind that the global economy's impact on food supply greatly adds to the variety of what can be offered at any given time. Imports from other parts of the world are facing their own climate-related struggles that aren't as common here, like wildfires. Still, the impacts on restaurants will be massive. In an upcoming report, I will be discussing how the restaurant industry is intimately connected with conservation biology, agriculture, and other areas of environmental action. Stay tuned to see how both the industry and diners are responding here on the NEC podcast. First, let's take a look at Maine's restaurants as they currently stand. About half of Maine's meals are away from home. The restaurants provide about 10% of jobs in Maine, to the tune of about 70,000 jobs. According to the Mount Desert Islander, there are about 3,000 restaurants in Maine that generate annual sales of over $3 billion. The seasonal tourist industry, as we know, is a complex, intermediate presence in Maine's economy. More specifically, the restaurant industry cannot be extricated from Maine's tourism industry. We have some ambivalent feelings about this industry as it pertains to sustainability, fair labor practices, and housing availability. Some restaurants are seeking to offer a variety of produce grown on small-scale farms and become creative leftovers, those little bits that we chop off because they aren't ideal in some fashion for flavor or presentation. Some, like pitted or wilted parts of produce, must be cut off. Rather than make its way to a landfill, composting is becoming the gold standard in reinvigorating soils for new food growth. Other parts are finding their way onto plates and cups in interesting ways, which can become a fun and profit-driving endeavor for restaurateurs. Take produce. Some of it can be easily integrated into soups, sauces, and juices. The bones and cartilage of animals can be processed to make the nutrient-dense and economical bone, or if we're looking at seafood, shell broths. Old-style bread ends can be made into bread pudding or strata, and tortillas and chips can be made into dishes like chilaquiles. Local plants, invasive or not, are being utilized to enhance the flavor profiles of food and beverage, like at Fogtown Brewing, based in Ellsworth, Maine. Berries, sweet fern, spruce tips, or bog myrtle flavored beer, while spent grain from the brewing process gets used in the dough for the pizza that you're eating. Still, other restaurants are revamping some of their menu, and others are offering new concepts altogether, like the vegan joint. As the numbers of people who are foregoing some or all animal products continue to rise, more restaurants are wholly vegan or having more vegan options, like $3 Dewey's in downtown Portland, Maine. Rather than pulled pork sandwiches, they're pulled jackfruit sandwiches. Others still are looking to serve some interesting changes in seafood. Take lobster, for example. The species is finding its home waters to be rapidly warming and acidifying. This means that catches are suffering, and many lobstermen are starting to hang up their gear and shelve their traps permanently. The shock to a rather historically steady industry where Maine lobster easily garners good and plentiful earnings for everyone on the chain from sea to plate is causing prices to rise wildly, and is even beginning to turn some diners off. Although these so-called invasive species are beginning to become an unavoidable presence, restaurateurs are hesitant to incorporate edible species into their menus. It is largely a function of stigma of invasive species. However, these sea animals are easily swapped in for the region's classic cuisines. Let's look at the green crab. Green crabs devastate soft-shell clam populations on which fishermen and other crustaceans depend, kill juvenile lobsters, and destroy important eelgrass habitats. A species from European waters, the green crab is only on a few menus within the New England region, despite it being of desirable culinary utility. In Belfast, Maine, the restaurant Be Nice Lobster has found success in incorporating the species onto its menu. The lobster chowder includes a green crab stock, which has a slightly different yet still received velvety flavor. Chef and owner of Be Nice Lobster, Sadie Samuels, is currently in experimentation mode with her green crab offerings. 
As a person who's lobstered in the past, she found increasing amounts of green crab in her catches. In Boston, Chef Jeremy Sybil at the Row 34 restaurant offers a fried green crab sandwiches. As part of a longtime fishing family, Sybil has noticed an increase in green crab populations. These catches are affordable. What's more, they're extremely flavorful. This offering is fairly new to the New England seafood market, despite the species having been established for a few centuries. It is only in recent decades that the warming and slightly acidifying waters of the region have been conducive in raising the numbers of viable green crab populations. Soft-shell green crabs are more versatile than hard shells for the usual dish, but the chefs and others in the food industry are adapting quickly to this not-so-newcomer. All of this is part of new horizons for how regional restaurants are adapting to changing tides. More to come in forthcoming discussions. Global warming is being studied for its effects on the beer and hop industry. A new study has surfaced showing us that the quantity of the European hops we use to make our beers is in decline due to the hotter and drier summers we are experiencing. Hops give beer that bitter scent and taste it has and is what keeps the beer fresher with a retained flavor. The hype behind beer industries has called for a larger abundance of flavors which requires more use of high quality hops. Global warming has made it possible that we will see a decline in flavorful beers as as between 1995 and 2018, we have seen as much as a 20% drop in hop production. Since the 2020 pandemic, the price of beer has increased by as much as 13% in some places, and the alpha-bitter acids in hops that give beer that bitter taste has declined due to the higher heat that we are experiencing. These bitter acids are expected to drop as much as 31% by 2050, assuming climate change is not reined in. Climate change has made farmers try different strategies to improve the yield and quality of hops they are producing. Farmers have been moving their farms farther into valleys and areas where they experience more rainfall, but they report that more will need to be done, stating that they would need a 20% increase in the land they would need to make up for the future hop declines. The largest hop producers globally are China, the United States, Europe, and Canada. Speaking strictly of the United States, we can expect to see a, a solid 20% decrease in beer supply. Hops grow on vines during the spring and early summer, growing anywhere from 15 to 25 feet tall at their peak by the end of June, with roots reaching a depth of 15 feet. So what are brewers doing about climate change and the effect it might have on its products? Breweries in Wisconsin are switching from blast bottles to aluminum cans to cut down on the transportation footprint it leaves, and brewers throughout the state have spoken on it. A Colorado-based brewer has, is aiming to be carbon neutral by 2030 and has already made the first certified carbon neutral beer in the United States. Breweries throughout the world have adapted to using renewable energy for their product as well as recycling their materials and water to combat climate change. Some have even made beers using only the resources they would have had with a climate change, and it is intentionally bad in hopes of making bigger breweries aware of the situation, mirroring the effects of climate change would have on future beer. In conclusion, if you are an enjoyer of big name or locally crafted beers, the ever-changing ever climate is an issue you may want to delve a little more into. Not only is the amount of hops we produce being affected, but the quality of them is falling dramatically. Buying into companies that provide climate and carbon sustainability practices when producing their beers is a fantastic way to fight climate change, as making beer has a negative effect on the climate, so there should be some sort of climate sustainability projects in place. Paying the extra $1.30 is a small price to pay for a six-pack you can enjoy and can have a positive effect in the fight against climate change. Next, I'll pass it on to Luna for her piece. The Northeast region is the fastest warming area, with summers becoming longer and drier, precipitating droughts and volatile growing conditions throughout the region. Maine's heritage farms contribute well over $1 billion to the economy annually. 
Warming weather generally speeds up both crop and competitive plant growth. Certain varieties of crop thrive in Maine's cooler weather, but more sporadic yet intense rainfall events can contribute to flooding, which wash out new plantings, draw young plants, stunt fruiting crops, and impact the soil's nutrient profiles. The growing season is lengthening, and the system which describes particular plant hardiness has shifted the designation for Maine's region, and increasing the amount of land that is in higher hardiness zones. On this week's episode of New England Climate Conversations, I will be covering how small farmers are responding to changing climate conditions. Often these operations are less likely to be able to weather weather changes without heavy support. Let's see how Maine farmers are faring here on the next podcast. In Woodland, Maine, dairy farmer Tom Drew suffered through a drought in 2018, which forced him to buy hay that took him almost two years to pay off. He usually grows, cuts, and processes his own hay, which then feeds his dairy cows. Longer drying summers, punctuated by heavy weather events, such as rainstorms, ruined his haymaking process. Dairy cows produce less milk and calve less frequently in warmer and more humid weather. The milk is also less nutritious. In Harris Farm in Dayton, Maine, beef and dairy farmer Jake Harris can't get his hay yields to satisfy his herd's dietary needs. York County, where Harris Farm is located, experienced a severe drought within the last two years. On the flip side, rainstorms wilted his corn plants because they received an excess of rainwater. These precipitation events have caused flooded and soggy soils, which can't be planted easily. Harris's feed crops are less protein-rich, forcing him to purchase soya supplements to meet the animal's needs. These supplements, which provide a stopgap measure for farmers like Jake Harris, are incredibly costly. The primary challenge for dairy production in Maine is affording feed for the animals, which is inducing a need to subsidize production. Furthermore, the feed has varying nutrition profiles, which affects the health of cows and the subsequent milk production. Poor feed quality results in more watery milk, with less fat and protein, and much fewer fat-soluble vitamins like vitamin A. Plant crop production has fared no better compared to animal food production. Those iconic Ming potato farms have seen rough years. The potatoes grown here grow best in temperatures in the low 60 degrees Fahrenheit. Projected warming from climate change impacts is currently estimated at 20-35% to reduced yields. Aroostook County, Maine has the largest concentration of potato farms, part of the regional industry which employs more than 6,000 people and yields more than $560 million in sales. Potato grower Ryan Garrett has needed to irrigate his crops, which is expensive. Garrett gave an example cost of $5 per gallon for up to 3,000 gallons of fuel per day. 25% of the potato acreage is irrigated. Potato growing degree days have increased by more than 20% since 1970 in Aristic County which has added just over two weeks onto the growing season, but that comes with the added cost outline earlier, like increased pet interference and warmer evenings. Monticello potato grower Dan Corey in Arista County was able to plant almost 20% more potato, which increased the ranking for amount of potatoes grown on the continent, rivaling Idaho. Lightning events rot the plants. In Dresden, Maine, Rob Johansson of Gorenson Farm lost 100 feet of the 975-foot long rows a devastating loss for the small organic multi-crop operation. Drought-resistant varieties are being tested. Heat stress lowers the potato starch content, which results in less tasty fries and chips. Most of Maine's spuds are cooked into fried and crispy potato snacks. Some tactics that farmers are implementing are horizontal storage techniques, starchier potato strains, and more intricate alternating crop rotations. These challenges are but a small look into how these classic Maine food products are produced. On upcoming episodes of New England Climate Conversations, we'll discuss other yummy main staples like blueberries and maple syrup, and how these love sweets are seeing interesting and interesting impacts from climate change. 
this has been the neck podcast thanks for tuning in back to you owen that's all for this week's episode thank you to everyone for tuning in if you enjoy this episode please leave a review on your favorite social media platform and share it with your friends also if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in the future as always feel free to reach out via social media or leave a comment on our youtube channel Next week, we'll have an interview with Maine Representative Morgan J. Riley, who sponsored legislation to create the Maine Climate Corps. We hope you tune in then.